Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. It's time to talk about vacations. Vacations. Let's talk about vacations, shall we? It's all I've ever wanted. You know, I wish I knew the next line to that song. <laughs> how do you, holiday getaway? How do you, yeah, oh, yeah. Hol- holiday getaway or how do you get away? How do you get away? Uh, well, should I look that up? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just let it go. Okay. And let's just hear about your best vacation you ever took, like family road trip sort of vacation. The best vacation I ever took? Mm-hmm. Uh, I Certainly recently. Or the worst. Certainly <laughs> recently. The best was uh, New Mexico, New Mexico and Colorado. Uh, Ooh, my, did you go to the Four Corners? Um, we did not go to the Four Corners, no. Um, but we went to uh, Mesa Verde. We went to El Moro National Monument. Uh, we went all over the place. We made a huge loop. Um, and that was a lot of, lot of fun. It was great. And the kids, the kids are getting to be of uh, good national parks age. So I can't wait to take them to other national parks. Ooh, that sounds fun. And you? That sounds fun. Oh, my gosh. I spent half my life on the road. I'm from the Midwest. That's what you do in the summer. If you, yeah. if you were born in the 70s, you grew up in the car every summer and spring break for that matter. Uh-huh. Like okay. I remember one time, how old was I? Maybe 10, where... My family decided we're just going to drive down to Disney World from Minneapolis, and we're going to do that during the one week of spring break, drive down there, and then come back and stop by a bunch of places along the way, including Graceland. And I have to to say, as a little kid, I sure did think Graceland was spectacular. That sounds very much like the plot of the movie Vacation. Ooh! Kristen, taking a road trip to a big theme park. Well, go figure, because that movie's out this week. (laughs) What? Is that a complete coincidence? (laughs) You planned this. Yes, we're going to talk about Vacation, the sequel, the sequel uh, to all the many sequels, I guess, of the National Lampoon's Vacation series. We'll talk about uh, Mission Impossible, the new Tom Cruise film. Ten. (laughs) It's only Mission Impossible 5, not 10. (laughs) And we'll also talk about a new documentary, The Best of Enemies, about the feud between uh, William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal. But first... Before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Well, Kristen, you've already given us the plot of Vacation. It's my life. It's your life. <laughs> Getting in the car, going to have a little bit of an adventure, going to spice up life. Maybe maybe the same old, same old's starting to get a little bit old as far as what they do every year during their time off. And, and so Rusty Griswold, that's right, Rusty, who was the son of Clark Griswold back in those original Vacation movies. Clark, uh, Clark was Chevy Chase. Yes, that's right, with Beverly D'Angelo as that's mom. Right. Yep. yep. And so Rusty is all grown up now. And He's thinking fondly back on those days when he would take vacations with his family and especially that trip to Wally World. Oh, wasn't that fun driving from Chicago to California? Oh, yes, we can do that ourselves. I can do that. I'm now grown up. I'm Ed Helms. Yes. My beautiful wife, Christina Applegate. Two teenage kids. Well, one's not quite a teenager. He's more um, of a yeah, tween. Little. And so they're going to hit the road. But first, of course, they have to have a special rental car to take them there. Here's a clip. Look what your dad rented. That's a 2015 Tartan Prancer. Did you say Tartan? Yeah, Tartan's the Honda of Albania, but this baby is pretty sweet. It's got all the latest Albanian technology. Check it out. Slam the door on my arm. What? It has a sensor. It won't let you slam the door on your arm or leg. Honey, I'm not doing that. The rental guy showed me. Just do it. Okay. Do it. There you go. Oh! Oh, my God! Ah! (laughs) That's just cracking you up. Slam it on my arm! 
that's just cracking you up, Krista. Look at you. <laughs> Do it. Ah. Oh golly. So now, uh, so so clearly, you're laughing. You 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 like this movie. This is the kind of movie oh, you would no, not the way, like. The way you pose that question, Rafer, makes it sound like you don't like this movie. All right, what? Well, now, wait you a minute. What's going on here? All right, let's now. Well, first of all, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the original vacation. Um, Who's I not? I, it's so great. It's a great movie. It's not, it is not one of my favorite John Hughes films. Uh, he, he wrote it. Um, and, uh, Harold Ramis directed it. It's not one of my favorites of theirs, but, um, you know, it's very funny, classic, you know, populist eighties comedy, modern classic. I, it, Chevy Chase is great. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, who plays the original Rusty Griswold is totally great. A lot of fun. Um, I always felt that that movie was, a lot more subversive than people give it credit for. You know, it was based on an old John Hughes short story called Vacation 58. And I think that year, 1958, is kind of important because I think the original Vacation was basically sort of, you know, taking the air out of this whole 1950s perfect family beaver cleaver ideal and putting this family through the ringer. And if you remember... There's some really nasty jokes in that original film. Aunt Edna dies, and oh, they leave her. Yeah. They drag her dog to death behind them in oh the car. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about it, that there, part. There are some really—that some really uh, that, that movie has a bit of a mean streak, and uh, it's definitely got a—you know— it, it, Clark's it, it, angry a lot. And Clark, Clark is Clark angry is, and, and is, is quietly seething. And as you remember, in the end, at the end of the film, he goes insane. And so I think that, that movie, you know, it's got, it's got some punch. And this movie, to me, does not. It's just one long string of oopsie-daisy jokes that I feel like you can see coming from anywhere. That's, but that's, that's not a Brillo pad. That's a ball of pubic hair. But you know what? Not a funny joke. You, you know what, Rafer Guzman? Sometimes you can see it coming and still enjoy it. Maybe. You can see it coming like, you know, you're going to that same restaurant that just serves like cheesy fries. And I know those <laughs> cheesy fries aren't good for me, but... Gosh, they're delicious. I can predict exactly how gross they're going to be, and I'm just going to love those. They're going to just fill me up, and I'm going to just forget all about them tomorrow morning when I wake up. Well, I uh, think not I... memorable, completely delicious, just junk food. And I think that's what this movie is. This and isn't this. You liked this movie. You liked when they go into the into the hot spring, and the hot spring turns out to be not a hot spring. Ooh, I can feel myself detoxifying. Hmm. <laughs> this smell. This smells kind Look, of crappy. Look, I found a dart. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Oh, so you all it's right? It's horrible and it's stupid. It's silly, but it's also just good, goofy fun. I will and say, I think I... its heart is in the right place. And in this case, we don't have an angry, seething Clark Griswold. We actually have a guy who's just trying to do the best with his family and who loves his wife and who, admittedly, you know, he's not as experienced with sex as his wife is. He's not as Christina Applegate. Yes, yeah, he, plays his wife. He's not as you know. He's not as worldly as his kids. He's not. He's kind of just like a dumb, innocent, well-intentioned guy. And there's something kind of likable about that. Ed Helms is great in that kind of role. And I mean, you can see you know, who else on the planet would you cast besides Ed Helms to play the grown-up Rusty Griswold, <laughs> the grown-up Anthony Michael Hall? He's so perfect. And that's great. Um, I just, I just thought the rest of the film was so toothless and obvious and old. What about those old. two kids? The two kids who are so uh, funny. Skylar Gazzando and Skylar Gazzando. Yeah, Skylar yeah, uh, Gazzando plays the older kid. I actually He's thought great. he was quite good. I thought so, too. Yeah, I thought he, he was, was good. very good. And his uh, little brother, Steel Stebbins, who yes. is, is a much younger bully of him. Slightly more irritating character, I found. But okay. Yeah. So I, I would call this, like, 
a pretty bad date. You? Pretty great date, I think wow. is what you mean. Uh, that's that, I'm flabbergasted. I thought Kristen. it was a good time. I was laughing and chuckling and snorting and yeah. I thought, I thought any movie where someone draws a giant penis on the side of their car would be the kind of movie where <laughs> you would not, where you would not come out with a big yeah, beaming me, grin on your face. Let me rub that penis off. <laughs> oh no! Here, you take this section and I'll, I'll rub it off. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, that was a strange, strange turn of events there on this review. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get a little more serious, Kristen. <laughs> let's talk about Best of Enemies. Ah, yes. Gore Vidal, William F. Buckley, and back in 1968, ABC Television. Tell us all about it, Rafer. Well, uh, that's basically it. Uh, ABC Television, uh, dead last in the rankings, uh, you know, the, as one, as one uh, pundit in the film describes them as the budget rental car of uh, network television. And uh, the 68 uh, national conventions are coming up, the Democratic uh, convention, the Republican convention. ABC is trying to do something when the other guys have all the, have all the ratings. This was back in the day when uh, what, the, what the networks basically did was, uh, as one guy says, turn the cameras on and let them roll. Gavel to gavel coverage. And that was it. And ABC gets the bright idea to have two polar opposites, two diametrically opposed ideologues, uh, Buckley and Vidal, Buckley the conservative, Vidal the liberal, get these guys on and let them go at each other. Two chairs, you know, a couple of cameras, and let them slug it out verbally. Uh, And uh, it goes gangbusters. Here's a clip. When the people at ABC had first approached Bill, they had asked him, would he be willing to be the conservative debater commentator with the national conventions? And he said, yes, he would. And they asked him, well, is there anybody you wouldn't go on with? And he said, well, I would refuse to go on with a communist. And apart from that, the only one I can think of is is Gore Vidal. That's Linda Bridges, the assistant to William F. Buckley. <laughs> it's uh, She's one of many voices who I think add a lot of really great context to uh, what might seem, uh, you know, on the face of it, kind of a boring Sunday morning television show. Uh, you know, just two people talking about different, you know, party platforms. Um, what's great about this movie is how how quickly, almost instantly, their debates just turn viciously personal. Oh and uh, and Vidal is definitely responsible for that. Vidal comes armed for bear with a bunch of quotes and uh, and facts and research he's done, and just starts flinging them at uh, William F. Buckley. Um, it's Let, let's play a clip of how bad it gets. Oh yeah, let's play a clip right now. I assume that to the point of the American democracy, yeah. and some people you can express too. any some point of view you want. Shut up a minute. No, I won't. And some people were pro-Nazi, and the answer is that they were they were well treated by people who ostracized them. And I'm for ostracizing people who egg on other people to shoot American Marines and American soldiers. As, I know you don't as care. As far as I'm concerned, the only sort of pro or crypto Nazi yeah. I can think of is yourself. Failing that. Let's, I would let's, only let's say that we names. can't have now listen, you the right of the Let's stop calling names and let's get... Let's stop calling names and let's get... So there you go. <laughs> Pro-crypto-Nazi and goddamn queer is Can where it goes. Can you imagine? Very quickly. That's like 1968 live TV. People did not say such things on live People TV back then. People still don't say that on Sunday morning. Like, if you <laughs> got a, right. a couple of political pundits on right now, right. they're not going to even say that nowadays. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And that really is uh, the, really the pivotal moment of the film when that, when that explosion happens and the fallout from that is uh, tremendous, uh, including uh, a couple of lawsuits. And 
I just found this documentary. It, it's uh, it's directed by Morgan Neville, uh, uh, co-directed, I should say, by Morgan Neville, who's the guy who did 20 Feet from Stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of an odd choice for him in a way. I think what's smart about it is it seems patterned very much on When We Were Kings, the Ali Foreman oh, yeah, documentary. Yeah. I and love that documentary. Which is really one of the better documentaries ever made. And this has that same feeling. These two heavyweights who are going to get in the ring, they each have their own little strategies and how they're going to win. And it just it, it winds up being this really exciting sparring match. And I think what's great about the movie, too, is that it makes a case that Although this was fun and terrific and helped make uh, both of them celebrities, it also kind of changed the face of news and commentary and debate in the public sphere, mostly for the worse. Because now what you have are two people shredding each other and going after each other's jugulars and taking the – essentially, you know, taking the tenor of the conversation down about as far as it will go. Um, And paving the way for what we have now on Fox News and and on MSNBC and everywhere where it's just – mean insulting sound bites where it's like personality attacks yes. and you know how and much of saying, it is really about the issues at this point right right and you know it's sort of it's it's devolved into this stuff you know my favorite one you know the is santa claus white debate which you know just got this inc- <laughs> you know everyone foaming in the mouth and people on you know people on television actually pounding the table and saying he just is white it's a fact that he's white <laughs> Where you just think, like, this is the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever heard anyone talk about on national television. Uh, but this is a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, a, really, a beautiful score. I think it's really oh, nicely yeah, the music edited. sounds great. Yeah. I think some of the personalities are great. I would argue that for all of the analytical talking heads and media analysts in this, they could have stood to have at least, like, one person of color and more than one woman. It's they had, all they did, white uh, men, pretty much. They do have. They do have the um, uh, John McWhorter. I think uh, he's black. They have him. Uh, there are some women. I'm going to defend barely, the film slightly. Barely. Um, well, Brooke but you know what? Brooke Gladstone from On the Media is in the movie for about 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does. It does lean rather heavily. I noticed on uh, New York Times and former New York Times reporters, yes, <laughs> which it sure I thought does. was sort of yes. a little telling about. Uh, and I th- also think the film tends, in my opinion, to come down slightly in favor of Vidal a little. You know, it does, but I think that's partly also because Vidal was widely considered the winner of these debates. Um, yeah, I guess because, that's because true. Because it was Buckley who lost his cool. It was Buckley who forever wanted to bury those tapes. And Gore Vidal, yes. who always brought these up any chance he got. Yes. Just any chance. <laughs> yes. Remember that one time where I totally like raked uh, William F. Buckley over the coals? Although I will say this. I thought William F. Buckley, yeah. he was totally charming and interesting to me in this. He, that's fascinating that you say that about William F. Buckley. Yeah, I was I, like, I, I want to get on your yacht with you and then... That's interesting you say that. I always found... Uh, Buckley, a, a very um, questionable, a questionable character. But, <laughs> but at any rate, um, I thought this movie was a great date. I really enjoyed it. You? Yeah, I think at some points it was a little bit slower than I wanted it to be, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. Really enjoyed it. Good, good. Yeah, good date. Well, Kristen, the last... Get that Lalo Schifrin score out. (laughs) We're going to talk about Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. Mission probably accomplishable. You think it's it's accomplishable? But you can't call it Mission mission Accomplishable. Mission Probable. (laughs) 
Uh, this is number five in the series. Kristen, tell us all about it. All right. So the reason I'm saying it's not really Mission Impossible, because in this franchise, he always accomplishes it. Well, that's true. He always, yeah. But, but of you course. Know, that, that's just the way it is. So you, If you can't have a franchise called Mission Failure. <laughs> that would be so good. Failed again. That would be so good. Damn it. <laughs> All right, so Tom Cruise is back. He's in his mid fifties now, but I have to say he's looking terrific. He sure does. He just he's got that sparkly smile. He's got that hot body. He's very convincing on a motorcycle on the side of a plane. No yep. matter what, he just looks terrific. So he and his buddies, who are part of the whole Mission Impossible team, the IMF as it's called, Impossible Missions Force. Yeah, not the International Monetary Fund. No, don't get confused. Slightly confusing. It's a little bit confusing. So he and his buddies, including Simon Pegg, of course, as um, Benji. Yep, Benji Dunn. Yes, they are fighting a group called The Syndicate. But, you know, how they're fighting The Syndicate might be questionable, might not be in the eyes of the authorities of the world, the best possible political move. And so their boss, who's Alec Baldwin, is like, you know what? You guys are loose cannons. We don't like how you're dealing with the syndicate. We are totally disbanding the IMF. Well, you know that Tom Cruise isn't going to be okay with that. Tom Cruise as Ethan. Ethan and his team are like, so you're going to try to disband us? We're still going to fight the syndicate. We're going to find out who they are. We're going to find out who's good, who's bad. Here's a clip. Can you open the door? I'm by the plane. Benji, can you open the door? Uh, maybe. Open the door when I tell you! I'm on the plane! Open the door! How'd you get in the plane? Not in the plane! I'm on the plane! Open the door! I do think there's a little satire going on in this film. Um, the idea that, uh, the CIA is really angry about government transparency and wants to <laughs> shut down the IMF. <laughs> kind of cracked me up. And I think Alec Baldwin, who plays CIA, CIA director Alan Hunley, kind of gets that joke. He, Every he, time he's on screen, though, you can't really tell if he's cracking up or not. <laughs> he's totally cracking up. Like, no, that's the problem with Alec Baldwin. He cannot play a serious character ever again for the rest of his life now, can he? Yeah, I think he, but he has played, he has played some. We were talking about this. Still he, Alice. Still Alice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Line even life, still Alice, every time he shows up on screen, there's a part of me that kind of starts. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know what you're saying because you expect him to crack a joke. I know, yes. I know what you're saying. But uh, I do think that's kind of funny that the CIA is coming in here and saying, you guys are – you guys – we need more government accountability here. <laughs> um, so yes, and, uh, and don't forget uh, Jeremy Renner is William Brandt. He's kind of the uh, – he's sort of the head of the, of the, uh, the IMF. Uh, now that they're all rogue, they're going to have to take down Solomon Lane who is the head of the syndicate played by Sean Harris. Um, I have always enjoyed – the Mission Impossible series. I've found them more or less thoroughly enjoyable. I was actually one of the few people that didn't quite like the last film as much as everyone else did. That was Ghost Protocol, which sounds very similar to Rogue Nation, doesn't it? Because in the last film they were they had also gone rogue. They all sound like video games. They're always they're I think they're almost always rogue. But in any (laughs) in any in any event, um, I do think that uh, these movies uh, get they have got a great cast, uh, great talent. They always get great writers and directors. Uh, the last film was directed by Brad, Brad Bird from Pixar. Mm-hmm. And I Known felt for that, The Incredibles. Yes. And I felt that that film was a little goofy, silly, cartoony, kid-friendly, um, which may be why it did so well at the box office. 
This film I found a little more intense, a little more serpentine. It's directed and written by Christopher McQuarrie from Usual Suspects, and it's got a few of his hallmarks, a lot of, uh, a lot of switcheroos, flash-forwards that turn out to be not flash-forwards, a lot of fun stuff happening with his, in, within the film with his direction, which I thought was fun. Um, and as you say, Tom Cruise... He's the best action star on the planet. He still is. He's great. I like, I mean, not as a person necessarily. Let's I mean, not get into that stuff. Will you but... like him better if you leave Scientology? Well, he's supposedly going to do it, right? You That's keep what saying all the that. gossip rigs are saying, saying he's that. going to leave Scientology. I, I, I'm not going to believe gonna that. They're not going to let him go, though. I'm not going to believe that until go. I hear him <laughs> announce that he has left Scientology <laughs> in the hands of John Travolta. <laughs> I won't believe it until I hear him say that. So anyway, but so but no, but okay. Let's let's get back to the situation okay. with this movie. You're saying it's more grown up, it's more sophisticated. There's I more mean, identity switches, but yeah. you know what? I think it's maybe just a little too grown up, and it's just a little too complicated. Things are a little bit too full of exposition. There's too many characters who you can't follow, and they're switching sides. And on top of that, I think a lot of these action scenes are so long that you're kind of forgetting why they're there. Some of them are, like, in the first half hour of the movie, there's just two very long action scenes. And I was fine yeah. with that in the beginning because I actually kind of liked one of them in particular at an opera house I thought was really good fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, the opera house, yeah. And then also the, uh, the plane, yeah, and the, the, plane. the opening sequence with yeah, the plane and then is the, good. But then the one that's, like, in the hole with all of the water where with there's the water. some sort of microchip in the... Yeah. It's with, a yeah. They're trying. They're they're trying to break into a. That to, scene just goes on forever. And he's a, holding and his absurd, breath for three it's an absurdly, minutes. Yeah, it's an, it's an absurdly uh, uh, high high security uh, uh, facility that's basically basically designed to guard like a single thumb drive, and they've got to break <laughs> break into it, which involves like going underwater, like through the cooling system. Yeah, uh, so, so overly complicated. Some of these maneuvers are just complicated. Like just be in an opera house and shoot people, or just climb on a plane. Well, and, and shove machinery out of it. So like uh, some of these are just too complicated. And then I have to say, Rebecca Ferguson, who's playing the female uh, co-star in this double movie, agent, Ilsa a, Faust, or triple agent, or quadruple or yes. agent, or yes. who knows how many kinds of you know double crossing she's doing, triple yes. crossing, whatever. But I. I didn't really enjoy her either. She did. Oh. She seemed very flat to me. She didn't seem that intriguing to me. Oh, and I thought she was the most. I thought she was actually the most realistic character in the whole film, and I thought she was actually really good. Mm. Uh, that's interesting. You didn't I, like her. I, I, feel, I, I loved feel like her. She needed to turn it up. If if we have people like Alec Baldwin who are kind of borderline cartoonish, yeah. and uh, Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg who are all borderline cartoonish, and she just almost seemed flat next to them because she wasn't turning on the cartoonish at all. Oh, that's interesting. I I thought the I thought the exact opposite. I I loved her as that classic that classic character. Her 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 moral compass has shifted just a little bit, but you know that she's still a good person. She's kind of looking to Ethan Hunt for to kind of help her write her ship a little bit. You can tell she's falling for him, um, but he's not sure if he's going to fall for her because he knows that she's a little bit questionable. And I thought that with very few words and mostly action and smoldering glances, I thought they were able to convey that pretty well. And I thought she was actually great. I, she was one of my favorite parts of the film, actually. Mm. Interesting that you didn't like her. I was pretty bored in this movie, I have huh. to say. Oh, I, I thought was this was... pretty bored. I thought... She was pretty flat, and I felt that all of the complication, exposition, all of that just 
too many speeches about what is the IMF and this person is that and then this prime minister and that and oh. this head of state this and then I'm like, ugh. Well, none of it hangs together in any in any meaningful way. Well, I was and, trying to make it hang together and I think but I mean, that that's was just, just way too complicated. Yes, but I I mean, that's that's like... You're saying it's my fault for trying to make sense of this. I'm saying, I'm saying that's like... I'm saying that's like going into vacation and saying, oh, that would never happen. Well, clearly it would never... <laughs> clearly it would never happen. It's... The movie is vacation. Well, vacation I thought was pretty realistic. All right. Mission... This, this is Mission Impossible. Of course it's never going to happen. Of course you can't walk around... Mission totally accomplishable. Pretending to be somebody else and then rip off your mask. But well, that was a great mask. You looked take exactly off that like mask. You know, But there's right, another exactly. mask under that mask. <laughs> exactly. That's an awfully good Simon Pegg mask you're wearing right there. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know, clearly that's not going to happen. Um, I thought it was really fun. I think these movies have been really like dependably good popcorn entertainment uh, every whatever that is, maybe three years or so they come out. I think they spend the right amount of money. They get the right people. And I think they all work out great. I, I thought it was a perfectly, perfectly good summer date. I'm sorry, but. I thought that Mission Impossible Rogue Nation was a snore of a date. Wow. Yeah. I'll be darned. We're not agreeing. We've only agreed on uh, on Best of Enemies. Yeah. That's and you it. liked that more than I did. Even that. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. Well, stay with us, though, because when we come back, we have some movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And you should really visit our Facebook page right now because there's the cutest picture of me and Rafer in an outhouse together. <laughs> I came across this picture. This was from a few months ago, Rafer. Remember we were sitting in an outhouse? No. What? You don't remember us sitting in an outhouse? Was I drunk? Well, we were probably drunk. Yeah. Where? That happens sometimes, doesn't it? I don't want to. <laughs> God, I'd never want to be so drunk that I don't remember sitting in an outhouse. Yeah, we're totally sitting in an outhouse at Brick Arts. Oh, at Brick Arts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We no, were, ho- I was, I we was were co- hosting a movie trivia night there. Yes, and then, I was uh, And then they snapped a photo of us in, a, in an outhouse. I remember now. And I meant to post it ages ago, and then I totally forgot about it. And I just this week came across this photo of us sitting in an outhouse together. So I'm going to put that on our Facebook page. Well, thanks a lot for that, Kristen. And the rest of you out there, post your pictures in bathrooms. Just put them on our <laughs> Facebook page. We want to see you in an outhouse. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to what we have to move on to, Rafer. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! Ah, yes. Movie therapy. When you, our beloved listeners, write and call in with your life issues. And Rafer and I, with absolutely no licensing or medical expertise. That's correct. We prescribe you movies to help you through whatever ails you. It's legal. (laughs) Just like in Colorado. All right, so... (laughs) Let's look at this week's letter. It's from Christina in New York. She says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently took myself out on a solo date night. First, a dinner of sweet corn risotto and carrots and ramps at an East Village restaurant called Virginia's, which was so freaking good. Then, Trainwreck, starring Amy Schumer, which I loved, especially because it's a comedy with a wonderfully sappy ending. Do you have any other solo date night ideas you could suggest? I'm sure we do. I love that idea. I think a solo date night's a great idea. I think we put so much emphasis on coupledom all the time and 
sometimes you just need to go out there and have a good night by yourself. I totally agree. Whether whether you're whether you're single or attached. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you and I have it built into our jobs, Ray, for the, where we frequently have solo date nights. Sometimes yes. you and I go to the movies together. Sometimes we go to separate screenings. And then, you know, it's almost like it's built into our jobs that we have a lot of solo date nights. I have a few more solo date nights than I would like, frankly. Oh, I, could oh. use, I could use fewer solo date nights, oh, frankly. Oh, you need to somehow get Anne to go on those dates with you. But then you have those little kids. Well, I got these Who's two gonna kids. going to watch the little kids? There are these two kids I have. <laughs> yes, it's, it's tough. Uh, well, Kristen, why don't you give a couple suggestions and then I'll give a couple. All right. Well, first of all, I want to say, Christina, I think that the date night you had with yourself, train wreck, that's a great solo date night. Good idea, yes. Love that idea. And the dinner you had, that sounds fantastic. So I'm going to suggest other ones that I think are in the same, along the same lines of good fun. You know, nothing too tense, nothing too scary, nothing too intriguing. Just, you know, a good fun time that'll make you smile. So my first suggestion is Chicago. That fantastic movie musical. Yes. From, wow, when was that, 12 years ago? I can't remember. Gosh. It's been a long time now. Yeah, it's been a while. Richard Gere. Renee Zellweger. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Queen Latifah. uh, Predominantly female cast. Great singing. Great choreography. The camera work is unbelievable. Everything just sparkles in this movie. Even if you don't like musicals, this has so much sparkle so much razzle-dazzle to it, so much good fun, and a lot of strong female power. Strong if you like to murder people and you're a woman. True. You know, all of that stuff. Here's a clip. She's giving up her humdrum life. I'm gonna be... Sing it. Roxy, she made a scandal and a star. And in keeping with your solo date night, Christina, I'm going to also suggest a pairing of what to go with that, what to consume. So, you know, Chicago takes place during the speakeasy era. So I'm going to suggest you drink a speakeasy beverage that was very popular, a slow gin fizz, which is still delicious. I I love that slow gin fizz. Sure. And then you're going to pair that with a little plate of finger food snacks. So I did a little bit of research on finger food snacks from the 1920s. Did you? Yes, I sure did. And the History Channel suggests the three following dishes to pair with your slow gin fizz if you want to have a speakeasy night. One, bread and butter folds, which is essentially just sheets of white bread with butter folded up. That sounds great. (laughs) Egg sandwiches, two ingredients, eggs hard-boiled, and mayonnaise. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> you can put that on some on some white bread also. Apparently white bread's very popular during the speakeasy era. And then the last thing they suggest is lobster canapes, which I'm not even going to describe to you. <laughs> we don't even need to worry about that. You can just have bread and butter and gin tonight, Christina. Bread, <laughs> butter, gin, and Chicago. That's quite a range of food. <laughs> well, you could have some white bread with butter on it, or you could have a lobster canapé. I guess it just depends on how much effort you want to put into it. Do you have two minutes or do you have six hours? (laughs) All right. I'm going to suggest one more film for you and and food pairing. That is Auntie Mame. Now, Auntie Mame, listeners know I love Auntie Mame. You do. This is one of my favorite movies. Rosalind Russell, who played a lot of great female characters over the years, including His Girl Friday. And she's she's just strong. She's a career lady. She's independent. She's fun. And... 
in Auntie Mame, she's playing Auntie Mame, a woman who is flamboyant, living in Manhattan. She throws terrific parties. She hangs with an unconventional bohemian crowd, unwed mothers, artists, people who are clearly gay, world travelers, people of all races. She has a grand old time, and she has about 100 costume changes in this movie, so it's just fun to watch her outfits. And she inherits her nephew. He is orphaned. His name is Patrick. He's suddenly going to be raised in this crazy world with her. He's going to learn how to appreciate different people, different cultures. He's going to be open-minded. It's based on a real story. Here's a clip. Live! That's the message! Yes, life is a banquet, and those poor suckers are starving to death. Come on now, child, live! Live! Now, with Auntie Mame, Christina, I suggest you pair a martini because young Patrick learns how to make martinis in this movie for Auntie Mame and her friends, and he becomes quite adept at it. There are a lot of martinis being drunk in this movie. And then I also suggest you just have a big steak. That was Rafer's idea, actually. Rafer's like, oh, "Oh, if you're going to have a movie that takes place from the late 20s to the late 40s, steak. Steak. It's just steak. What were you you doing in America besides eating at steakhouses? Yeah. Steakhouses with the the red leather banquettes. Oh, yes. Oh, I love those leather banquettes. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are excellent, excellent prescriptions, Dr. Meinzer. Uh, I'm going to recommend a couple for the menfolk out there. Uh, who also, I think, enjoy a good solo date. Um, my first choice is going to be The Dirty Dozen from 1967. Ooh, good one. So manly. Robert Very Aldrich manly. directing. You know, this is a great movie. You know, epic length, war action film. Uh, really, you know, about as macho as it gets. Uh, men are men in this movie. Boy, are they ever. Uh, you know, just just for starters, you've got uh, George Kennedy and uh, Ernest Borgnine in this film. So that tells you a few things. But of course, Lee Marvin plays uh, the, one of the main characters. He's a, a military commander who's been assigned to get some guys together to perform a suicide mission during World War II. There's no way they're going to come back from this thing. Uh, Who would do that? Well, prisoners, lifers, and death row convicts. If you dangle their freedom in front of them, they just might go on this suicide mission for the hope of going free. Here's a clip. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can file up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can file up in combat in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm going to read you just a short list, not the entire Dirty Dozen, but a short list of the Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown, Clint Walker, John Cassavetes, Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas. So that's an ascending order of awesomeness right there. Wow. You know what no one's doing in there? Manscaping. You know what no one's doing in there? Wearing skinny (laughs) jeans. Telly Savalas really gets the best role because he's a religious he's a religious fanatic rapist. <laughs> so I just feel like Matt, that's you know, don't bring your date. Don't bring your girlfriend on that date. Uh so if you want a pairing for that, I would recommend uh scotch and peanuts. Oh, that's my recommendation that's you for you. What about a that? can of baked beans that you eat with a knife? Exactly. Uh, my my other recommendation is going to be Fifty uh, Fifty from two thousand eleven. Um, oh, a, that's more touchy feely. Well, yeah. I just a lot I less macho. It's a very great guy film that I think you can uh, watch. And the best part about it is it it feels like a guy film, but it's also about actual male bonding, not not joshing frat boy ha-ha male bonding but real male bonding um this is the movie with uh, joseph gordon levitt he plays adam and um seth rogan plays a guy named kyle they're both public radio employees and um adam he, they're, they're both in their late 
late 20s, Adam comes down with cancer, which is the kind of thing that you don't expect to surface in your life when you are kind of young, single, freewheeling, drinking beer, having fun, and you work in one of your early jobs, and uh, you've got your whole life ahead of you, and all of a sudden this terrible thing happens. And the movie is really about how the two of them deal with it. Here's a clip. I'm going to throw up. Don't throw up. You're going to be fine. I actually think I'm going to throw up. No, you're not going to throw up. Just, no, open your eyes. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All right? What kind of cancer is it? What's the name of the cancer? It's some rare kind of cancer. What's it called? Schwannoma. I knew this. Schwannoma? Schwannoma. It's schwannoma? What's schwannoma? That means tumor, basically. Do you have a picture of it, at least? Can I see it? Why would I have a picture of it? It's common practice in the... Fucking get pictures of shit now. It doesn't I don't look know. like anything. It's just a lump. That's what it, it doesn't. It's not a picture of anything. Well, you're gonna be okay. What I your think chances? so. What are your odds? I don't know. I mean, I looked it up and it said 50-50, but that's like the internet. So it's not that bad. That's better than I thought. I cried and cried and cried during this movie, Rafer. Do you think that makes for a solo date night success for a man? I do, and here's why: because you can enjoy this movie. Without being afraid to cry, if you if you're with, if you're with your guy friends, you're going to choke back those tears a little bit. But if you're alone, I think you can I think you can get as misty as you like, and I think it lets you kind of experience this movie fully and will allow you to kind of put yourself in both roles, both roles very nicely played by Rogan and uh, and Joseph Gordon Levitt, I have to say, um, and also uh, based on a true story, um, based on real life experiences of the filmmaker. Um, Beer and pizza, your obvious choice for this film. Uh, and also, if you want to get stoned beforehand, everyone in this film is also smoking uh, copious amounts of marijuana. So that could also help. But for I think medicinal it's, uh, purposes. Oh, for medicinal purposes, yes. Uh, and, uh, and you got Anna Kendrick in there, too. Let's not forget. Oh, that's right. I forgot so that I think it's So I think it's a great solo date night. So those are my prescriptions. So one more time, our prescriptions are Chicago, Auntie Mame, The Dirty Dozen, and 5050. Christina from New York, thank you so much for writing in with your movie therapy question. And the rest of you out there, if you have any questions, life issues, just write to us, call us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Or give us a call at 5717 movies. And you can also use that Facebook page and that phone number for trivia. Oh, so, yes. So, Rafer, what was last week's trivia question? Last week, we reviewed Pixels, uh, which was about a uh, bunch of video game icons that attack Earth. And the reason they did so was because we had sent one of those time capsules, those golden records out into space with information. And, uh, of course, the aliens uh, took it the wrong way in Pixels. Uh, But we thought of another movie that had a golden record sent out that also got a response back from alien life forms. Here's the movie. Okay. Okay, are you crazy? You almost got us killed. You said you watched me. You said you knew the rules. I do know the rules. Oh, well, for your information, pal, that was a yellow light back there. I watched you very carefully. Red light stop. Green light go. Yellow light go very fast. You better let me drive. 
And we got a lot of correct answers for this, which surprised me because I, I thought this was a real stumper rafer. I, no, I, I, no, I, I knew it, people would know this I, movie. I thought it was really hard. But one of the many answers we got was from Tim Quam. He wrote us on Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast. He wrote, the trivia answer this week might be Starman. I've only seen a few minutes of the film on television, but having seen Raiders of the Lost Ark many times, I can say the actress on the clip sounds like Karen Allen. At the beginning, it sounded like it was going to be the scene in Raiders after her bar burns down. Then it turned all sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> it did indeed, with Jeff Bridges playing the Starman. Yes. Uh, very good Good job, Tim, identifying uh, uh, Karen Allen's very distinctive voice. Yeah, there. great job. She was a huge star for a little bit there. She sure was. Just for a little bit, and then not anymore. That happens to people. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, all right, so this week, Kristen... This week, in honor of vacation, we have a clip of a movie that features a trip that people are on, a little vacation, if you will, where things just don't go quite right. Here's a clip. Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Yeah, things go very badly on that vacation. No, that's not a good vacation. No, they don't turn out well. That's a super bad vacation. (laughs) (laughs) If you know the name, if you know the name of that movie about a vacation that goes horribly awry, give us a call, 5717 Movies. Or you can message us at Facebook.com slash movie date podcast.